episode 201 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 24th of October 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. I wonder if Rishi's still our Prime Minister by the time this comes out. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Yes, he is. No, he isn't. (laughs) Right. I'll edit the appropriate one in. (laughs) Let's start with some discoveries then. Will, RTL433, Breaker Breaker. 10-4, 10-4, good buddy. Now, not wishing to pigeonhole myself as either a nosy parker or a nerd, <laughs> this uh, particular uh, discovery fits right into my areas of interest. You might remember many years ago, it was discovered that the USB TV tuners could be turned into SDR, software-defined radios, and used to pick up all manner of things that they weren't necessarily sold for. So with these things, you can pick up TV broadcasts, digital TV broadcasts, and FM radio, but you could also scan up to about 1.2 gigahertz and down as low as, oh, I don't know, 50 or 60 megahertz. So quite a wide spectrum of bandwidth that these things could receive and there's a project called rtl433 which makes use of these tuners and just scans one particular frequency either 433 megahertz or 868 megahertz and i think there's another one and these are very commonly used frequencies by garage door closers and devices in your home like older devices in your home talking to each other This package, uh, which is packaged for Debian, you install it, you plug your SDR radio in, and you switch it on. And it just sits there and listens and logs all of the interesting things that it knows how to listen for. And so this could be things like temperature sensors and um, your boiler talking to your room thermostat or something like that. But it's also other things such as car tire pressure sensors and all sort of weird stuff like that. People's weather stations from sort of four or five doors down sending out the relative humidity at four o'clock in the morning. All of these things. It's just fascinating to fire this up and just leave it sitting there doing nothing. And just every so often you'll find out that your neighbor's Toyota's got tire pressure of 31 PSI and think, ah, I never knew that. I wonder if it'd pick up my cat's tracker collar thing. So uh, my current foster cat who've had for nearly a year, who's basically our cat now, fucking just keeps going in other people's flats and getting locked in and that. And so we uh, had to buy this tracker for her. And we could could have gone for the GPS one, but that costs loads of money to, uh, you know, maintain and everything. So instead, we've got an RF one. And I bet this would get picked up by it. So you'd know, oh, yeah, Joe's looking for his cat again. What was the brand name? Do you know? It's uh, Giraffus Protractor. <laughs> wow. It's German. What a product. <laughs> Great customer service, though. I don't see it on the list, but if you go to the RTL433 website, which is linked in the show notes, then there's a great big list on their GitHub page of all the things that it knows how to talk to. I may have mentioned um, RTL433 before because I use it to get the oil level from our oil tank in the garden. You can run it for a specific device, format the output as JSON, and then I just do a simple command to put that to MQTT and onto Node-RED and then everything else. It's such a useful tool. Look at him there, taunting us with his home heating oil millions that he's got in his tank. (laughs) (laughs) Some of us would be dying with no electricity over here. Shh, don't tell anyone. (laughs) I bet he's got the swimming pool temperature sensor set up as well. (laughs) (laughs) A nice balmy 55 degrees Celsius. (laughs) (laughs) This is rural West Sussex where our shit flows into the streets (laughs) (laughs) yeah perfectly legally now thanks to the tories 
one other useful thing is that it picks up my car key when I press the uh, unlock button. So maybe you could steal a car and sell it and then afford to heat your home this summer, <laughs> uh, winter. <laughs> Didn't we talk about the same hardware two weeks ago when Phelan was tracking military planes? The same hardware, but not the same thing. Not as cool. Which one's not as cool? They're both cool, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, but mine's cooler. Okay, fair enough. All right, Graham. Ardor 7. Yeah, so this isn't really a new discovery, but it's a it's a major release for the Arda project. Arda is a brilliant but complicated audio recording application, basically, if, and with MIDI as well. It's a, what people call a door. I don't like the phrase door. Digital audio workstation. It allows you to record lots of multi tracks of audio at the same time. So version seven is a major update the result of years of work it's open source it runs a kind of subscription model if you want to support it but rather than just being kind of um pro level certainly in terms of complexity multi-track recording studio software thing this release has a clip recorder and player in exactly the same way that kind of ableton invented and bitwig copies which is a real change in the direction for Arda because before it was kind of an austere recording tool for engineers or podcasters. And now it's becoming more of a kind of a creative musical thing where you can load loops. And part of this update includes access to a completely free loops library, as well as being able to browse online completely free creative common sources for audio. You can drop the loops into these clip browsers. It's difficult to describe, but basically you, there's places where you can drop a clip and you can play it as a loop and then you can manipulate loops and you can play different loops together as a scene and then you can have several scenes to create a track in that way. Completely different to the way of normally constructing audio. Um, it's a really great release. It's got lots of other stuff as well, but just for the fact it's got Ableton-like clip launching is good enough. Now, you say this is a new feature. Is this in addition to being able to do the old school Cubase Pro Tools style recording and mixing and editing? Yeah, it's totally in addition. It's added to the mixer view. There's a vertical mixer view that goes like alongside the horizontal kind of track view. And the vertical mixer view now on top of where you can see the effects inserts has a place where the clip launcher can be enabled if you want it to be, which basically is where you drop the loops in there. This looks like a spreadsheet, a bit like a tracker, but for, for loops. But it can be ignored by people who don't care about this sort of modern shit. Yeah, absolutely entirely ignored. But there's nothing else like open source that does this, which is so great. And I've been playing with it quite a bit. And the other big thing I've noticed is they've totally changed the timing, internal timing for the application, whereas before it used to kind of use the sample rate, which meant you did get noticeable errors in timing as you moved things across. Now everything is exactly in time and it doesn't lose timing because it's using its internal super high resolution timing. There's loads more stuff as well. But yeah, it's a brilliant release. This does sound really interesting then because I've tried Ardor before and it just seemed like a standard digital audio workstation to me. There wasn't um, anything particularly exciting about it. Whereas if it's got this Ableton-style stuff, then yeah, there isn't anything else like that, is there? Because there are some doors available for Linux, and Audacity is kind of slowly becoming that. And uh, there's a couple of other, is it Ocean Audio as well? And there's things like Reaper, which are proprietary, but you can get free versions. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing like the clip view. Mm, this sounds very interesting then. 
Let's check it out. It's a really quick way. I mean, it's all loop-based music, but it's a quick way of getting kind of instant gratification. You kind of record a loop, drop it into the clip, you do another one for the beat, the bass, the keyboards, whatever you want, and then you can really quickly play with their structure without having to drag things around. Well, I'll add it to my massive list of stuff to play with when I have time that I never have. Phelim, UFW and Docker don't play nicely together. Yeah, this is a rather disturbing discovery. So I often use UFW for simple firewall rules because it's quite handy. I can give it to a client. I can say, look, if you want to add stuff, it's very easy. Jim can go on about how easy it is to add IP tables all he wants, but try explaining (laughs) that to somebody and it's just not going to happen because it is an awful, awful command. Yeah, UFW allow SSH. Exactly. There you go. That's what you want. I would rather someone use that and got a firewall that worked properly than tried to arse around in IP tables and injured themselves horrifically. But I had a Docker instance that I installed for Unify access points. And I also had some UFW rules, very simple stuff. And to be honest, luckily internally, so it wasn't a big deal. But scanning my machine, just doing a test with Nmap, I suddenly discovered a whole lot of stuff was open in the Docker instance that I didn't think would be open because I was only allowing the web interface port and something else. There was one other communication port that it used. But there was a bunch of other ones that were open. And I looked at the rules. I said, well, I've clearly got firewall the rules for these. But it turns out that there is a docker-user chain you should use for blocking stuff inside docker or allowing stuff and they don't play well with the ufw stuff at all so you really have to end up using ip tables on its own in a like a a script that you call at startup or whatever but yeah if you had that on a box that you thought (laughs) you were serving stuff out onto the web with uh you might want to check it because it might not be as secure as you thought it was even though both tools will tell you that yeah yeah we're all firewalled but they aren't. Quite imagine having a box connected to the internet that's totally <laughs> open and using default usernames and passwords. Ooh. What sort of idiot would do that? <laughs> <laughs> how's uh, how's your new Raspberry Pi installation working out, Will? Yeah, ARM64 on Debian, really good. Yeah, it's weird that you just went for that all of a sudden one day. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, that's some time spare. Give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got your broadband back? Yeah, the broadband's back. I don't know what's come with it. That's the scary thing. (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Traditional endpoint security tools can make your workplace feel like a surveillance state, turn users and the IT team into adversaries, and ultimately drive your employees to work on unsecured personal devices. It doesn't have to be this way. Collide is a device security solution built around honest security. Their philosophy is that employees aren't your biggest security risk, they're your biggest allies, and your relationship with them should be based on transparency and informed consent. Collide works by notifying your employees of security issues via Slack and giving them step-by-step instructions on how to resolve them themselves. For IT and security teams, Collide provides the right level of visibility for Mac, Windows and Linux devices. It can answer questions about your fleet security that traditional MDMs can't. You can meet your security goals without compromising your values. Visit collide.com slash late night Linux to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash late night Linux. All right, well, I've got a few discoveries. The first one is palette.fm. 
this is a web-based photo colorizing AI thing. You feed it black and white photos and it spits out colorized versions of them. And it is scarily good sometimes. Sometimes it's a bit iffy. But I tweeted some screenshots from Better Call Saul, which was shot in black and white, or at least um, aired in black and white. And it just it looks real once it's colorized. And I've I've tried some of my own photos. I've made them black and white, fed them to it, and they've come back. And yeah, it's not 100% accurate, but it does look real. And still, sometimes AI can amaze me, or impress me at least. People were doing that for years before AI. Just stop. Stop giving it things that it can't do. Well, I was thinking about this, and I remember King Kong being colorized, and they would color in every frame of it by hand. Whereas now, I mean, I know this is not a new thing. What's new is that it's just so easy to do in a browser. You don't need to have a graphics card or whatever. But it just made me think about how it must have taken months for them to colorize King Kong, whereas now you could do it in an afternoon with a powerful enough graphics card. Yeah, and it always used to look shit as well. There's a subreddit for colorized black and white photos and even really skilled people doing it with whatever software they're using, it still looks slightly artificial. And the ones you shared, I thought, looked very natural in ways that are kind of, it's difficult to do as a human. Yeah, exactly. And it takes seconds as well, even on a phone. I don't know to what extent it's happening locally and what extent it's server-side, but it doesn't matter. You just upload them 20 seconds later, maybe not even, you get a color photo and it's amazing. So check it out, it's good fun. Pocket Casts have open-sourced their mobile apps for both iOS and Android, which has got to be good. They were bought by Automatic, the WordPress people, and true to the kind of mission of WordPress, they've now been open-sourced. My understanding is these are quite popular. I've never used them personally. I've I've installed them to check stuff. But this has got to be good news, I reckon. And also, Santa Circles. This is an open-source secret Santa sent in to us by listener Andy. Now, I'm afraid I am far too fucking miserable to take part in Secret Santa. Everyone can get fucked. You're not getting a Christmas present off me. But if you are slightly less moody than me, then perhaps you might want to take advantage of this great software that Andy made. Grinchy Mac Grinch face. The thing is, right, I fucking love Christmas, man. I really love Christmas. And you know why I love Christmas? Because I mostly get to spend it on my own doing fuck all and not having to buy presents for anyone and not having to get presents from anyone and feign enthusiasm. Oh, thanks a lot for these great socks or whatever. I've just alienated everyone to the point where I get to have some peace and quiet at Christmas and it's fucking brilliant. As I said, (laughs) grinchy my grinch face. (laughs) On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Linux After Dark. And if you want to get in contact, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do some feedback then. Matthias writes to us. I'm a system administrator working primarily with enterprise Linux, RHEL, and sorts. I just had the opportunity to go back to Ubuntu briefly and make a drive-by installation of unattended upgrades. When I was a younger admin, I never used unattended upgrades. I just strung a few apt commands together in a cron tab and finished them off the reboot. Now being a more senior admin, I thought I'd take on a problem properly and having experience with DNF automatic from EL, I expected it to go smoothly. It did not. 
To get unattended upgrades to actually upgrade all packages on your system, you have to go through quite a few hoops. Enabling automatic upgrades of third-party repos, for instance, requires the following six-step program. And he gives a link to Ask Ubuntu. What's your experience at auto-updating Ubuntu? Am I just approaching this completely wrong? Well, isn't the point that unattended upgrades just updates the important security stuff? It can do both. It can do security updates, or it can also do, depending on the repo that you enable, it can be third-party stuff, or it can be you know new features. It can be anything you want, really. It's up to you to turn it off and on. Yeah, but by default, I mean, it's all about the security stuff, just the sort of bare minimum to keep you not vulnerable. Yeah, to be honest, I don't use it overly much because if you do get a broken package, I just I don't just don't like the idea of any servers doing things automatically. I'd rather command push from something like SaltStack to host and then upgrade them when I want them to, and then I can get immediate feedback that stuff has worked. I just find sort of randomly letting servers do updates at some obscure time of the day. And even if you don't restart stuff, I don't know. I don't like the idea. Well, I'm very much not a cattle person. I have very few boxes, and so I, they're all pets to me. So I have unattended upgrades just to do the bare minimum, and then I just SSH in once a day or every couple of days and just do the rest of the updates. So it's not ever been a problem for me. Yeah, and I'm, I really shouldn't comment. I am guilty of just looking at how to force every single upgrade I ever go through. <laughs> and I'll deal with the consequences later. <laughs> My only comment here is that if you open SSH to the world with a default password, you don't need to worry about security updates. <laughs> Just having it even with passwords at all, man, that's really bad. How long was it connected for? I don't know. Um, I don't think we've actually explicitly mentioned this. So just to fill people in, I discovered over the weekend that a Raspberry Pi I had on my network had a port forward set up on my router for not a normal SSH port, but uh, a port that was easy enough to find forwarded straight to this Raspberry Pi, which I hadn't bothered to change the uh, default username or password on. I think it's been that way for oh probably a year or something like that. Oh. And by not standard, you mean it was twenty three instead of twenty two? No, no, no. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad. But um, you know, running a port scan would not have taken a great deal of time. Did you look yourself up your IP address on Shodan? Oh, I'm going to do it now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to, though? That's the question. Well, it's gone now. I decided that the only sensible thing to do was just pull the plug, format the entire thing, burn it, and then start all over again. All right, well, Charlie got in touch with more moaning about Ubuntu. I had been using Manjaro for quite a while, but somehow my package database got clobbered. I thought it would be worth a try going over to Ubuntu 22.04 and see what the new LTS is like. Turns out, I don't like it. I don't think snaps are as well behaved as flat pack packages are. I keep having packages getting held back during updates for reasons that are not clear. My LibreOffice preferences keep getting wiped out. It seems there are a number of things that worked correctly in Manjaro that are not working well at all in Ubuntu. Now I'm trying to decide between Fedora, OpenSUSE and Majea for my next distribution. But on the other hand, now that IPP everywhere seems to work nicely with my brother's printer maybe it's time to try a bsd flavor on my desktop steady on old chap <laughs> don't need to go that far but as for LibreOffice preferences getting wiped out i've never seen that that sounds like some sort of bug that should be filed yeah it's been a long time since i actually since i actually used it so i'm not sure i don't think i have any preferences maybe that's why they've never been wiped out 
I don't really feel like I need to change anything, but I'm not exactly a power user. But the snaps thing, I mean, that has pissed a lot of people off. And it's, uh, it's a big turnoff for a lot of people, the fact that snaps are so prominent now, especially with the likes of Firefox. And I can see coming from Manjaro or another distro, seeing that your Firefox snap is still not brilliant and just general problems with snaps and thinking, yeah, fuck this, time to move on. But not BSD, for the love of <laughs> God, Charlie, come on. No, I'm only joking. Ghost BSD, if you want to try. No. It's my, my pick. No, NetBSD. Oh, GhostBSD has got Mate by default, is perfectly sensible, and is a great first step into BSD on the desktop. Free BSD, that is. Yeah, but look, he's gone on about his printer having IPP everywhere. Yeah, fair enough, but his machine won't have a network card because it won't be able to work <laughs> with the drivers. That's totally unfair. Depends if he's got Ethernet or not. <laughs> that is backed by fact. Can't he pipe to the line printer? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Jason says, I think those who use Linux at work, but Windows or Mac at home are part of the problem, not the solution. A couple of things come to mind. One, they give the impression to others that Linux is only good for servers. If the people who use Linux professionally don't use Linux at home, the point is clear. Linux isn't good enough for me to use at home. The fabled average user will not see this as a sign Linux is worth a look. Two, most likely they aren't contributing to the software we use at home. I'm reminded of the time I met my first Linux guy at work. I was excited thinking I could work with him to help us use some sorely needed applications with functionality not available at the time in Windows. My heart sank when he told me he'd never used any Linux desktop applications. I asked why not and he replied, Linux is for servers, Windows is for desktops. He lost all respect in my eyes. I think you've experienced something that is called reality here, Jason. (laughs) The reality is that most people who use Linux don't use it on the desktop. And that's fine. Not everybody can be right. (laughs) Just be happy you're one of them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I don't think that these people are part of any problem as such. No, in fact, they're using Linux at work. It's it's a good thing. That's great. I mean, they're also using Windows and Mac at home because they choose to and they've been exposed to Linux. So, you know, maybe we've got some more work to do there. Or maybe we don't want them. Just put that in there too. <laughs> I used to be against that idea, but I'm beginning to warm to it. <laughs> yes, see, I knew you would. <laughs> Are you saying that they're the sort of Brexit Tory voters oh, of computers? Yeah. Yeah, there you go, there you go. We see, you do. You can bring it around somehow. <laughs> I'm beginning to think the internet might have been a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, Jason, you have to just be more chill about it, man. 
people are going to use what they want to use. And it's not some statement. If they whip out their M1 MacBook Air and are happy with it, then you just say, okay, fair enough. Fair play to you. I'm glad you enjoy it. And if they ask you about what's good about Linux and why you use it yourself, then start evangelizing. But until they ask you, just quietly judge them. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do a quick KDE corner before we get out of here then. So Nate has joined the KDE board and he's got some pretty big plans. Yeah, um, and it is good to have Nate on board. Obviously, they do a great load of work. The whole board do. And he wants to sort of direct community members and try and keep some of the tech skills in-house where a lot of developers might end up working for a third party and they might drift away from the community a bit. His goal is hopefully try and keep that in-house and try and keep the sort of community and the adhesion together as a group. And I think that's quite a good goal. And yeah, I guess the, the main thing is if you can, donate and that's really what helps keep the big kde names developing directly for kde and i think that's how the project grows all right and kde neon is now based on jammy 2204 it is and be careful because i decided to upgrade today just so i could be current for the 200 show luckily i chose my laptop because i managed to completely hose the crypt setup on the disc not completely sir that's a lie i did manage to recover it but uh there was one point where it said, do you want to change this file or keep your developer one that you currently have? And I went, nah, crypt setup in it, RamFS. Oh, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure the developer knows what he's doing. No, no, they didn't. I should have kept it. And uh, yeah, I had to go in and fix that. So that was a, a great bit of crack there. So um, if you've got encrypted drives, don't do what I did. All right, user base rebooted. Yeah, so we talked about this in last show where we had the talks that went on during Academy and that work has kind of progressed a bit. There's a wiki page where you can follow through, see what needs to be done, add stuff yourself if you have some tasks that you think need doing. And they're doing a general cleanup and getting teams together. And if you have a KD identity account, or if you don't, create one, log in, get going on it, and it's there. It's a great way to help out if you don't have any development skills. All right, and a couple of This Week in KDEs. Yeah, just a few. Um, so the general effort on the QA for 526 Plasma worked really well. There's been sort of relatively few bugs and regressions on that, so that's been great to see. And Network Manager has the WPA3 Enterprise in it as well, which is quite a nice addition. And I really enjoying the the new control center widget which is quite cool because it's got nice things for turn your bluetooth off and on which is very handy because i use my phone transfer stuff between it or whatever or for when we're doing this show i can turn off the do not disturb there is a one that you can disable notifications for a set period but it's a very handy drop down where you can just click it or even set it on your desktop if you're constantly doing stuff like that and it has like your media stuff in there too so that's quite good he also talks about the automation and systemization stuff that he's doing. They've already got nudge messages in there where if you file a bug on a Plasma edition that's really old, it'll say, you know, there's a newer one. Maybe you want to try that and maybe it's already fixed. There's auto-close on a lot of the older stuff. So automation for things that, you know, great sort of housekeeping tasks that are sort of a pain to do manually and a great way to get done with scripts. So, And there's a matrix room for that as well if you go to the matrix server KD institutional memory. So good to help out there and see what's going on. All right. And Digicam recipes. Yeah, we talked ages ago about this. I don't even remember when it was, but a new version of this has come out. And it was just a reminder to people that if they want to get involved with Digicam, there's a great recipe book. 
payment for it supports the development work on Digicam and stuff. So it can be got through the Play Store or Gumroad. So I think it's about 10 euros maybe. So nice to help out. And if you do buy that one, it gets updates every time new versions come out. So I don't know how long the updates last for, but it seems to be a perpetual kind of release almost. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when who knows what we'll be talking about. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. Thank you.